Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Tennessee Farm to Family Podcast, brought to you by University of Tennessee Extension. I'm Rebecca Norman, Agriculture and Natural Resource Agent in Montgomery County, and I work primarily with livestock producers in raising their stock and also in feeding their stock through forage programs. Today, I have with me Tamara Ajay, one of our family and consumer science agents here in the county. I've asked Tamara to join us because of her expertise in all things nutrition. Hi, Tamara. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Rebecca, and thank you for having me on the podcast today. My work with Family and Consumer Sciences, or FCS, in Montgomery County is centered around strengthening families and individuals so that they can have a quality life. And part of that work includes educating families on consumer matters, using researched and evidence-based curricula and information so that they can make the best and most informed decisions when it comes to health, parenting, relationships, finances, meal preparation, and feeding their family. I'm excited about today's topic because I'm passionate about nutrition. (laughs) And more than anything, I'm a true foodie at heart. And as a matter of fact, I think that's one of our many commonalities. I think you're right there, Tamara. And I'm so excited about our conversation today because in this episode, we are putting on our foodie hats and we're exploring just a few of the amazing beef options we have for our plates. And we're going to do this through an understanding of some of the labels we see in today's marketplace. So, Tamara, tell me, what is your favorite beef product? Ah, yes. (laughs) I absolutely love a marinated, medium-cooked, choice ribeye. It's so savory and full of flavor. I don't have it as often as I would like, but when I do, it's definitely a treat. What's yours? Oh man, Tamara, yours is so glamorous compared to mine. I'm a hamburger girl, grilled hamburgers on a charcoal grill, no gas grill. And I like to look for a USDA medium to high choice hamburger. Wow, that sounds so delicious. I'm getting hungry already. So Tamara, before we get to specific labels, who's in charge of food labeling in this country? Great question, Rebecca. So when it comes to food labeling, the FDA or Food and Drug Administration is in charge of the processed foods, such as breads, cereals, and canned and frozen foods. Now, on the other hand, the U.S. Department of Agriculture or the USDA Food Safety and Inspection Service, also known as the FSIS, which is a public health agency within the USDA, they're responsible for ensuring that the nation's commercial supply of meat, poultry, and eggs are safe and correctly labeled and packaged. Oh. hmm So, hey, Rebecca, now I need your expertise. Since we're talking about labels bearing claims, what about beef that doesn't have any particular label claim? In other words, how do those particular beef products get to market? And how can we know what to expect when eating it? Mm, Good questions, Tamara. And I think we really just need to talk for a minute or so about how beef Conventional beef in this nation reaches the marketplace. And so in our beef production system, cows are raised on grass Mm -hmm. out in pastures. We see them in our county all over the place. Right. And that's where they have their calves. 
The calves grow up, they drink their mama's milk, they eat grass, and eventually they're weaned. Mm -hmm. And then eventually they go to the feedlot. And so they'll go to the feedlot depending on a lot of things that might happen in the market, but typically they'll go at about 800 to 900 pounds. And then they'll spend about five months in the feedlot until they're harvested. Mm -hmm. And typical harvest weights in this country are 1,350 to 1,400 pounds. Okay. So if they're in the food chain, most animals in the U.S. are harvested by the time they're two years old or 24 months of age. So cattle are raised on grass. They can be given a grain supplement. Think about in the winter when there's not much grass to eat or maybe... For some reason, they need some extra calories, some extra nutrition. Nutrition. They mm-hmm. might be given grain. But now by the time they're in the feedlot, their diet is primarily grain. But keep in mind, all grain is a seed head of a grass. So it's natural for cattle to eat grain. There are lots of reasons this system was developed in the U.S., uh, mainly because it's faster, because animals are given an adequate plane of nutrition their whole life that way, because when there's not much grass, we'll give them the grain that they need. Mm-hmm. Uh, this system also requires less land, and it's faster. It's a less expensive way to finish an animal as well. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so that explains how most animals reach harvest in the U.S., but for consumers that say, all meats look alike. Yeah. What can they expect when eating this type of beef, or how can they tell which piece they may like better? Mm, that's a good question, and it really does look alike, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Unless you're really trained in judging meats. Right. And so the USDA developed a quality grading system to address that very particular question. So they have trained graders in harvest facilities, and they will classify the meat that comes through the harvest facility according to prime or choice or select. And I think those are uh, grades that people, those names people will be familiar with. And so this system was created to help us distinguish eating experiences when we look at a piece of meat. So there are two factors that actually determine that quality grade. Mm -hmm. It's how old is the animal at harvest and marbling. Now, in our country, most animals are harvested, we've already said, around 24 months of age. Right. And so, in the U.S. quality grade system, as long as they're under 30 months of age, all of it's the same, except for marbling. Mm. So, if you take away age, then we know that marbling is the most important factor that predicts or determines what quality grade an animal will be. Okay. And so, marbling is that fat within the muscle. We might see little white specks in a cut of meat. That's marbling. It's called a taste fat. And the more marbling, the higher the quality grade will be. Mm-hmm. And the higher the quality grade, the more predictable the eating experience will be. Personally, I like to look for beef that's USDA quality grade choice, somewhere in there. Very interesting. Okay, so you've talked a lot about marbling, and I'm familiar with marbling, but what makes marbling? Better yet, how do animals get marbling? How does marbled beef reach the meat counter for me to select it? Oh, that's a really good question, Tamara. And it really has a lot to do with how animals grow. Mm -hmm. So two main factors determine marbling. Stage of maturity of the animal and genetics. So if we think about how animals grow, and really people too, think about 
people or animals you've seen that have a growth spurt. Right. And they're kind of taller, bigger, ganglier, might look a little bit thinner. Yeah. And then we'll talk about how they kind of fill out again. And then there's another growth spurt and another and they fill out, that kind of thing. Well, that's how cattle grow as well. And so what we're looking for to determine that an animal is ready to finish or be finished or are finished Mm -hmm. is that we're looking for an animal that's kind of had that last growth spurt they're about to where their mature size should be, and they filled out a little bit. They don't look gangly anymore. Okay. And so that's what we're looking for. That tells us that the animal is ready for harvest. We also know that marbling is an inherited trait in cattle. And because of all the genomic work that we've done with cattle, we can even select bulls that will pass on better marbling characteristics to their offspring. Wow. So it's quite scientific because of what we know about genomics now. And we can even pick bulls that are going to provide us a better eating experience on a plate. Wow. This is so interesting. (laughs) Very interesting information. So from a consumer standpoint, beef grades or grade shields help us predict what the eating experience will be from a particular beef product. Right. Okay. And so that is why it's important to look for the stamp when wanting a more predictable experience. So grade shields, like let's say they're labeled choice, you can expect that to be more flavorful in taste. But it's also important to mention that when if you're looking for a leaner product, you would want to go down in the grade quality. Right. So for instance, select, because it has that less marbling that you mentioned earlier, it's going to be a leaner product altogether. Yes, yeah. Wow. So what does a grass-fed label mean? Well, according to FSIS, the Food and Safety Inspection Service, this label claim means that the animal, after being weaned from their mother's milk, was fed a 100% grass diet. So the diet was derived solely from forage. They cannot be fed grain or grain byproducts, and they must have continuous access to pasture during the season until they're harvested. So these animals are never put in a feedlot, and their forage consists of grays, forbs, uh, I'm sorry, their forage consists of grass, Mm -hmm. forbs, which would be more like the broadleaf clovers and things like that, browse, which we would say shrubs or bushes, or cereal grain crops, as long as there are no seed head on those crops. Mm. So this means that if any grass has a seed head, they can't eat it. So keep in mind, though, this only describes how an animal reached harvest. It really can't predict an eating experience, although certain things are typically associated with this label. But what about in the winter? What do they eat then? That's a good question. Uh, Because of the grass-fed label, they can only eat grasses. Mm -hmm. or plants without a seed head. And so we know in our climate, in some climates further north than ours, it's a little tricky to have some grass to eat come January or February. Most definitely. Yeah, and so some farmers develop a forage program where they can plant certain grasses that will give them some um, food for their cattle to eat in the winter, although it's really tricky, it's much harder, and they can feed them hay, but it can't have a seed head on it. No seed head. grass-fed beef, it's harder to produce it. Okay. Well, I've also seen a grass-finished label. What exactly does that mean? Well, a grass-finished animal can also be fed grain. Mm -hmm. 
And the label might read grain-fed, grass-finished, or some people call it grain on grass. And that's just a way of describing a system where the animals are on grass, but they get fed grain if they need some extra nutrition or maybe the grass gets thin. Or you got to think about what happens when there's a drought and there right. isn't much grass. What are they going to eat? Right. So there's sometimes when we need that, that flexibility of feeding them other items that they would normally eat uh, just to keep their nutrition where it needs to be. Makes sense. So keep in mind, all these terms can be confusing, and people use all sorts of terms to describe their animals. So I would say if you're buying local, the best thing to do, and it also makes it more fun, I think, Mm -hmm. is ask the farmer their story. Ask them how they raise their animals, and I assure you they love to talk about it. Wow. I like that. Ask them their story. Yes. Well, what about the eating experience typically associated with the grass-fed label? And by eating experience, I'm referring to the overall palatability of the beef product. And just so listeners know, palatability can be attributed to three primary traits, tenderness, juiciness, and flavor, as well as the interaction of those traits. Oh, Tamara, that is a complex, mm. what's well, a simple question with a very complex answer, okay. okay? Because keep in mind, we're talking about a living system here, and there are a lot of things in an animal's life that can influence how tender the meat product mm. ends up being, how juicy, and how flavorful. Now, we know marbling impacts flavor, so we've already talked about marbling. Right. But in a grass-fed system, a producer, a savvy producer, can do all sorts of things to impact tenderness and juiciness. Mm. And so it might be they're harvesting animals a little bit younger. They might be harvesting animals a little bit older. Even the kind of grass an animal eats impacts its flavor. Okay. So that's where it comes again. Once again, it's really important to talk to farmers. If you're buying local, talk to your farmer. Very interesting. I didn't know that we can manipulate our taste experience just based alone on how the producer is feeding and the age of harvest. Yes, yes. I know the food label can communicate a lot to consumers, such as macronutrients, like how many grams of fat and protein are in a particular food product, or even micronutrients, like the amount of vitamins and minerals available in mm-hmm. a particular food, uh-huh. which can also help consumers to make an informed decision about their selection and purchase. Mm-hmm. But what about a label that says raised without antibiotics? I've seen this a time or two, and I'm, I've always been curious. Well, I'm glad you asked, Tamara, because that is a conversation that we hear all the time mm-hmm. around the country. Everyone wants to has questions about that. Mm-hmm. So... Before explaining the label, I think it's important for us to know that in this country, routine antibiotic testing is done when animals are harvested. Okay. So if there's any antibiotic residue found, uh, it's not put into the food supply chain. And furthermore, that's tracked back to where that antibiotic came from. Okay. Okay. So it's that's that's a big no-no. So anab- we can safely and categorically say that antibiotic residue isn't in our beef supply. But so now let's go back to the label, Raised Without Antibiotics. Once again, according to the organization that regulates labeling, this label means the animal cannot be given antibiotics any form at any point in their life. So sometimes these labels may say no antibiotics administered, 
Uh, some other examples are no added antibiotics, no antibiotics ever, or raised antibiotic-free. And this means that an animal, even if sick and needing an antibiotic, cannot be given one. So personally, I would just never, ever buy this product wow. because it's important to me that know that animals are raised humanely and if they got sick with some maybe bad respiratory infection mm -hmm. and they need an antibiotic clear, to clear it up, I'd want to know that they were able to get it. Right. And in this, whenever an antibiotic is given to an animal, producers have to follow the label. It's the law. Mm -hmm. And it will tell them if you give them this antibiotic, they can't be harvested for 21 days wow. or whatever. So that label tells them when it's safe to harvest an animal some point down the road where there will be no antibiotic found in that animal. Wow. So you mean to say that if it says no antibiotics ever, that means ever? ever. Exactly. It wow. means exactly what it says. They can't ever get medicine. Well, unlike you, I wouldn't want that particular product because I want to know that my the animals that are being cared for are getting what they need when they need it. Right. Very right. interesting. What about labeling that talks about hormones? I've seen some that say raised without added hormones or no added hormones administered. What does that mean? Well, it means just that, that the animals were never given any added hormones. Hmm. And so I think it's important to understand that there is no such thing as a hormone-free beef. Sometimes I've seen restaurants or whatever say hormone-free beef. Right. Well, hormones are naturally occurring chemical messengers produced by a living organism. Mm -hmm. They travel through the bloodstream and they regulate body functions like reproduction or, or metabolism and growth. So if they're eliminated completely from the body, an animal couldn't survive. And so when we use what we would call an implant, uh, one of these hormone implants, mm -hmm. it's put underneath the skin in the ear of an animal. Okay. And it looks like a little, it's about the diameter of a pencil lead, okay. and it might be maybe half an inch long, mm -hmm. and it's just slipped under the skin of their ear, and then it gradually dissipates. Once again, it goes through the bloodstream, mm -hmm. and it's used to regulate functions. Okay. So it's then it's gone. It's mm -hmm. has a withdrawal period like anything else. Well, I got to tell you, uh -huh. I feel kind of silly now because I was one of those consumers that was always concerned about the hormone levels in beef. Mm -hmm. But it makes sense. Just like us, they need hormones too in order to develop healthily and grow. Exactly. And even plants, of course, they don't have a bloodstream, but even plants have hormones. Wow. I mean, this is just putting everything into perspective. Mm -hmm. So thinking about common myths and, you know, the concern about hormones, mm -hmm. what another myth. Right. Uh, surrounding beef produced with additional hormones is that it's, the myth is that it's unsafe. Right. So, but the fact is that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration regulates the development and use of hormone implants and the FSIS of the USDA monitors those residues of synthetic hormones in beef. Mm -hmm. So what is true about hormones in beef? Oh, wow. Okay, great. I love to talk <laughs> about this because it's one of those things where science mm -hmm. just helps us make good decisions. Yes. To know what's really true yes. is helpful. So if we were to take a three-ounce serving from a non-implanted steer, that's a steer that never got that little implant in its ear, Okay, it contains 0.85 units of estrogenic activity. And that's just a way they measure 
estrogen and the related little uh, compounds that go with it. Okay? I gotcha. And so we're talking like very few nanograms, so like a billionth of a gram. So it's this very small. Yes. Now, if we were to take that same serving mm-hmm. from an implanted steer, it has 1.2 units per oh. three ounce serving. Okay. And so if you want to put this in context, let's compare it to three ounce servings of other foods mm-hmm. that we consider healthy that we eat all the time. Uh, an egg it has 94 units. Oh, wow. A three ounce serving of peanuts, 17,000 units. White bread contains 51,000 units. A three ounce serving of pinto beans. Who doesn't like a good bowl I love of pinto beans? Pinto beans. <laughs> 153,000 units. Wow. If you're a tofu eater. Love tofu. Okay, I've never even had it before. So see, there you go. Okay. You're much more glamorous than I. Well, give me the, well, give me the, the number. <laughs> whopping serving of 19 million units. No way. Really? Of tofu. So you're meaning to tell me. That a serving of tofu is more has more hormones than even the the steer the cattle that had the implant the right. hormone implant nineteen million units in wow. your three ounce serving of tofu and one point two units in your three ounce serving of beef that was That's implanted. unreal. Wow, it is real. <laughs> it, it is, is real. real. Yes, <laughs> it's true. It's yeah. true. So we talked about some labels, Tamara, and what they mean and about general eating experiences with beef. And we could go on and on because this really is a fascinating subject. But you're the food and nutrition expert. Isn't it true that beef purchase is only the first decision, really, in a series of decisions that we make that are going to impact what ends up on our foodie plate? What last words of advice do you have for us today? Absolutely, Rebecca. There are a number of decisions that must be considered before even making a food product purchase, such as affordability. What are you willing or able to spend? What is the preferred cooking method? And a big one is, what do you and your family prefer when it comes to taste? You may even ask yourself, is it better to purchase directly from the producer? Or is what you desire or prefer available at the grocery store? Another big decision is the nutrient characteristics. Although all beef products are an excellent source of protein and and supplies 10 essential nutrients, including B vitamins, zinc, and iron, which all support an active and healthy lifestyle, some cuts can be leaner than others. And we mentioned that earlier. Mm -hmm. Meaning if you're watching your fat intake or if you're on a heart-healthy diet, You may want to look for certain cuts of beef products with words like round or loin. That's a great telltale sign that that cut is lean, Uh meaning it's going to contain less than 10 grams of total fat, 4.5 grams or less of saturated fat, and less than 95 milligrams of cholesterol per 100 grams or Mm. three and a half ounce servings. Mm -hmm. Another factor to consider before purchasing your beef product is what is the recipe you are intending to make? For instance, if you're making a chili or a soup, you wouldn't want to use the USDA-grade prime beef. Remember, the higher the quality, the greater the cost. And so always consider the recipe. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, consumers may want to, to ask themselves, what can be done to improve the foodie experience uh, when it sure. comes to certain cuts or... Uh, 
you know, what can I do as far as the cooking method or seasoning uh-huh. to enhance the taste? Um, some of the things that you can do is shop by cuts or by grade with respect to the recipe. Um, also determining the seasonings, we talked about that. And then also it's very important to remember that if you want an individualized or customized eating experience, then shop directly from the producer. And I mentioned uh, which preferable cooking methods. Uh-huh. I prefer my ribeye, because I know people would want to know. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know. Yes. Well, I prefer my ribeye marinated with soy sauce, garlic, brown sugar, pineapple juice, and a little apple cider vinegar. Oh, So, wow. hey, try that at home. That I'm, I'm sure you'll good. love it. Yeah. <laughs> but the biggest takeaway from all of this uh-huh. is that be open to exploring new eating experiences so that you can learn what you enjoy most. If you need information on the cuts of beef, preferable cooking methods, nutrition facts, or recipes, visit the website Beef It's What's For Dinner website. You can visit them at beefitswhatsfordinner.com. Also, visit utextension.tennessee.edu for more information related to grass-finished and conventional beef and other nutrition-related information. Oh, wow, Tamara, thank you so much. And this has been so much fun. Yes. I think if I were to try to sum up our discussion, Hmm. I think we could say uh, that we need to decide what we want. Right. When when people say one thing's better than another, I think the real answer is you decide. You decide. Based on true, sound, science-based information. Perfect. And so thanks for joining us as we took this brief foray into the beef foodie world. Yes. It's about time, so we'd better wrap it up. And hey, I'm hungry. You ready to go get a hamburger? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I've been ready since we started. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Rebecca, for having me on today. This is great. It was a pleasure. (laughs)